Hello and welcome to Cracking the Knesset. The brand new podcast brought to you by the Union of Jewish Students. Throughout this series, we will be taking a deep dive into the world that is Israeli politics in the lead up to the next election in March. That election will be Israel's fourth in two years. Our mission is to try and explain the complicated world of Israeli democracy. My name's Bradley and today we'll be asking how did we get here? Joining me today are two fantastic guests, Karen Levy, Jewish Agency Shlicha for UGS, and all the way from Israel is Richard Pater, CEO of BICOM, an independent research centre producing research and analysis about Israel and the Middle East. Shalom to both of you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Richard, firstly, do you want to actually tell us a little bit about your time as a student at Manchester and within UGS? Sure. Well, it was, uh, I said, if I'm dating myself, we're going back to the, to the mid-90s. And, uh, and back, back then, I think we were dealing with uh, similar issues. I'm not sure we called it uh, delegitimization then, but we certainly felt uh, a raft in my time. We had the, uh, on the Manchester campus, the Islamist Society in, uh, in partnership with the Green um, Party that were acting against uh, Jewish students. And uh, we had our very uh, loyal allies um, with the Labour students. That was kind of the, uh, the political machination then. And uh, I have to say, we lost, uh, we lost more than we won um, simply because of the numbers game. But it was, uh, it was, a, good, it was a good start for kind of to, to learn one's political teeth on campus. Yes, I think the, uh, in some ways campus hasn't changed, in some ways the allies and foes have changed on campus today. So Richard, I guess the first thing, if we have you here, if you would be able to give us like a brief understanding of like, how have we got here? How has it been that this we're now coming up to a fourth elections this March in two years? Okay, well in short, in a, in, in a technical sense, the reason why we're going to new elections here in Israel is that they didn't pass the uh, pass an annual budget, and when you pa- don't pass a budget, then the the Knesset, the Knesset automatically uh, is uh, collapses, and, and new elections are called ninety days. Um, to give a background of why the budget wasn't passed, you have to go back to the coalition agreement from uh, from March two thousand twenty, when they first established the national unity government between the Likud and the and the Blue and White Party. And effectively, Netanyahu either planned it beforehand or, or found, exposed a loophole in the agreement that he realised the only way in which he wouldn't have to pass over to Benny Gantz to become the alternate prime minister was if the budget didn't pass and brought new elections. And the last moment for that was at the end of the calendar year. Um, now, I'll tell you a couple of quick stories just kind of around that time, because I think they, they might be interesting. Um, first, first of all, up until the lead up to the days before the before the Knesset disbanded, there were intense negotiations between Netanyahu and, and Gantz to try and uh, find a compromise solution. And Netanyahu was pushing, he was particularly vexed by the uh, by the authority of Blue and White's Justice Minister Avi Nissenkorn, and he asked um, uh, Gantz to, if he would uh, consider limiting his uh, his his powers. And, uh, and diluted some of his powers, particularly with regards to the selection of future judges. And Gantz was actually considering this. Um, and the truth is that even that consideration, he lost faith in his justice minister. And uh, it was too late. They didn't get to do the deal. The, the, the government fell. But two weeks later, the justice minister himself, Nissenkorn, resigned because he no longer had the trust of his party leader. So a lot of people were wondering if only if only uh, Nissenkorn would have resigned two weeks earlier, 
then it could have avoided this election. By the way, Nissenkorn went on to join the Israelis party led by uh, Ron Khuldaei, and he then quit that. All within a month, he quit that second party as well. And then the party itself failed to, uh, to, to, uh, to even register in the elections. So that's gone as a, as a blip from people's memory. And just very quickly, a second story, which is worth mentioning. On the night of the vote itself, the compromise plan put together to avoid the elections was to basically extend the, the budget deadline by an extra week. And on that night, there was a very close vote. And in the end, the, the blue and white abstained from it. But in a coordinated manner, which is also significant and indicative looking ahead, it was Gidon Saar and Yael Lapid that worked together with rebels from the Blue and White and the Likud party to get enough votes that didn't allow them to pass the extension and thereby the government failing. So there really seems to be a like political deadlock right now in Israel. We've had the multiple elections, we've had different coalitions being tried to form. In the first election, we had really, there, was, there was no way to a coalition, so they just dissolved the Knesset before even passing any votes. In the second election, that was when, correct me if I'm wrong, they couldn't find a way to a coalition. Is, is that true? I have to, I'll, have to, I'll have to remember the details exactly, but, uh, but broadly speaking, yeah. Um, and it was after this third one that they finally sort of, again, there was no way to that coalition, but Benny Gantz, seeing that the pandemic was on its way, obviously we're now talking about March 2020, the pandemic was full scale around the world and in Israel. And Benny Gantz was basically sort of took the decision of during a national crisis, it's better to have a national government and to work, go into the coalition with Netanyahu than to have no government while this national crisis is going on. Corinne, did he do the right thing for Israel or was he played by Bibi? I truly believe that uh, Benny Gantz had a good intentions. Uh, he wanted to prevent Israel going for a false elections during a pandemic. However, he betrayed the, the voters, his voters, that he promised the entire campaign, three campaigns, he said, I will not sit with Netanyahu, I will replace Netanyahu, and then he sat with Netanyahu. And that's, people were very, very upset about it. They split, Kachol Avan split, Yeshatid uh, split from, from Benny Gantz. So, because they didn't want to sit with Netanyahu, so I think this is why Gantz is doing very, very bad in these in this four elections, because people are like, you, didn't, you, you gave us your word and you didn't follow it. So, yeah. Yeah, just, I mean, just to add, I, I agree that I think uh, uh, Gantz had, had good intentions, and it's only really with hindsight that we now know that it was maybe he could be accused of uh, naivety and, and failing. But if you, could, if you look at the, uh, the, the details of the agreement itself, I mean, on paper, it was a, it was a decent deal. And I'll point just to a couple, of, a, a couple of reasons why I say that. First of all, they were given perhaps the, the, the plum jobs within, within cabinet. He was, he was defence minister. Ashkenazi was appointed uh, uh, foreign minister. As I mentioned, Nissenkorn was justice minister. These are the kind of the, the most weighty ministerial positions. Um, and in defence of Gantz, in that time, um, Nissenkorn, through his time in the Justice Ministry, was there to stop any interference into the judicial process. He was protecting the, the rule of law. They also, through, fine, through the jobs of being Defence and Foreign Minister, opened up a dialogue with the US. And there is an argument to say that it was because of that, uh, of their uh, positioning, they were able to prevent the annexation plan from being developed as well. So I think history may judge uh, Benny Gantz slightly more kindly over, over that period. But certainly now, he's in trouble going into the next election because, as Corinne correctly said, he went against the voters' will and, uh, and he's likely to be punished for that. 
Should he still be running? As in, I mean, how many people have been left of his party? I think four or five of the MKs that were there in the last election. They ha- they've definitely collapsed. I mean, they, they, I mean, I, I see all the uh, as, as I see all the announcements that, that all the parties making. It was it was incredible, almost unprecedented to see name after name quitting and leaving the uh, leaving the party. And um, they still have a, they still have a few people left. Should they should they run? It's a great question. I mean, we can we can we can talk about it now. But uh, the issue of the parties that are close to the 3.25 threshold, which translates to four seats, that is the story of this election at the moment. There are at least four parties who are very close to that threshold, and it's on those margins that will may, may well decide the outcome. Should Benny Gantt still be running in the upcoming elections? I think he's very a naive politician. I think is this is why that's destroyed and, and is running like how do I say it? It's going. It, I, it will be a struggle for him to to pass the threshold. Um, I think that his best option is to uh, join to another party, and I really doubt that Yeshatid will want to join him again. So he needs to find a, a new way. I think it's. I think it's too late. The list have closed now. There'll be no. There's, there's no. There's no opportunities for any more mergers. He's missed that. Uh, he's, he's missed that boat. Um, I think he dearly would have would have preferred to go in with someone. He's also he would have made an, an attractive partner only because of the uh, the election financing laws. Because on paper he had so many MKs that they had they are they are one of the wealthiest parties at least on paper. But uh, the question will be now closer to the time will he will he get over the threshold. Will he, will he risk it and still run, or will he nevertheless fall on his sword and pull out before? Yes, that's the only option left for him, which is to disband the party if he thinks that they won't beat the threshold. Um, it, as you said, it's, it's too late for mergers. Yeah, that's very common in the Israeli politics. Parties rise and fall very, very quickly. You can see it with Kadima, you can see it with Kulano. There are a lot of times they're just parties for like one election, two elections, and then they don't, they don't make it for another, another round. Yes, very different to the British sort of historic parties of Conservatives, Labour, the Liberals, the Democrats. Um, the, the time scale of a lifespan of a party in Israel can really be just one to two elections. And currently, with elections being once every few months, that means it, it really isn't that long. Um, so, touching on what we said earlier, is that sort of centre and left coalition, like, is it, has that chance for a centre and left coalition to replace the dominance of Bibi? Is that past? Was, like, Benny Gantz lost, like, him going into the national government, has that mean that the centre of left have lost that opposition? And now it's really up to just the right trying to replace him with, with Saar and the New Hope um, and the other sort of new right parties. Or is there still with Yelipid a, a centre and left partnership that can take on Bibi? I think it, it, they can take on Bibi. If you can see like the, um, the seats that won in the last elections, Kaholavan got the most of the seats. And I think we are very like 50-50. I think like Israel society is 50, let's go with Bibi and 50%, just not Bibi. And in this election is just like, just not Bibi or just Bibi. And I think if they will all sit together and also will cooperate with the, um, with the Arabs party, we might have a non-Bibi government. So that would be very, very uh, interesting.
I think it's I think it's the wrong question. I don't th I don't think the uh, the political boundaries of left and right are necessarily so relevant in this election. I think it's if you want to boil it down to kind of a, a one question, it is a, a referendum on uh, on Netanyahu for and against. Um, but why is it not about not about for, about uh, about uh, left and right in the conventional sense? Because I think there is a broad a broad consensus over foreign policy issues. There is there is wall to wall backing of the Abraham Accords and the and the peace the peace and normalisation agreements, uh, with the exception of the Arab parties. Notably, um, there is a there is a consensus kind of supporting the IDF actions and what it does regularly um, over the skies of Syria. And with regard to a policy on 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 uh, with vis-a-vis -vis Hamas and the Palestinians, I mean, at yet at the moment of speaking, are just not an issue. It's like there's no there's no expectation that we're anywhere close to returning to uh, to negotiations. Um, and in any case, it's, it's yeah, it's it's a it's a side it's a side issue at the moment. It may well return um, to more prominence, but right now it's not current. But just a, a one word or a few a few words in defence of kind of the, of the centre left. And I would I would point people who were a bit quick to eulogize the uh, the Israeli Labour Party. Um, they thought it was they thought it was finished. Obviously, it also with blue and white, two thirds of it went into the government um, with, the, with with Netanyahu. Um, and, and people had written it off as a, as kind of a, as, as a piece of history. Um, Merav Michaeli won the election. She was the one MK that uh, that didn't enter the government. She gained a lot of credibility for that. And she's now in the process of rejuvenating the party and giving it more life. The real challenge that the Labour Party have is how do they make a policy distinction, and there's very, very little, between them and Meretz. Um, and, and so now that there is a risk uh, that, uh, that, that if Meretz, for example, was not, Meretz is the kind of slightly historically further left party, if they are on the brink of the threshold as well, then that also has a dramatic in, um, impact on the political map. Yeah. Um, before we go too much into that, I would say to our listeners, our next episode is about the rebirth of Labour and how the party of governance has nearly fallen away and come back. Um, so before we go into that, I would like to sort of just ask the question, is there a way to get out of this deadlock or is the system broken? Um, well, listen, the, 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 the trade-off here is kind of between two values of... Uh, of uh, uh, representation versus governability. Um, and if you're asking my personal take, um, in a country like Israel, which is so proliferated into, into camps and, uh, and tribes, representation is a really important value. The elasticity of Israeli democracy, the fact that you can have, I mean, a, a quick plug for Bicom does its own podcast, and I've been interviewing a series of political candidates uh, over the last few weeks. And when I spoke to someone from the joint list a couple of weeks ago, I asked her, is it still accurate in 2021 to call yourself a communist? Um, and her response was, of course, she wears it as a, as a proud identity. So there you have it, a member, a current member of Knesset running, likely to be re-elected as a proud communist. She sits in the same party of, uh, of uh, pan-Arabists that up until recently were supporting Assad. Um, so this is kind of the extent of kind of the, the bandwidth of Israeli, of Israeli politics. And that's a very healthy thing. At the expense is obviously uh, govern governability. And, and with that, um, well, we, we, we can, uh, I'll, I'll leave it there, but we can, we can discuss that further if you want. Is, is the system broken or is there a way to, out of this deadlock? Oh, the only way, I believe that the only way to get out of this loop is basically either we be able to form a government without Bibi or the Knesset, what Bibi really wants, 
uh, will pass a law that allows Netanyahu um, to be prime minister with his charge, charges against them, or to halt his completely the charges against him. I think this is the only two-way solution. And I think uh, this is the election with the second most, um, the second most parties registered for the election. I think it is in the forties, Richard. You may know the exact number. I think there's thirty thirty-nine registered. Thirty-nine. Okay, so it dropped down just below fourteen to thirty-nine. Is that just too many parties? Well, listen, just because 39 parties stand doesn't mean that they're going to get in. And if you look at the kind of the, the current, the, the, the standard numbers of, uh, of, of election, of, sorry, of the standard number of Knesset representation, it's closer to 10 or a dozen parties. Um, it's give a little bit of historical background. They have played with the, with the, uh, with the threshold. That's kind of is one of the main levers on how you, on how you challenge these things. And by raising it, um, four or five years ago, from 2.5% up to 3.25, you created a barrier where you can no longer have two-person two factions. You had to have at least four. What instead happens is, that, and you can see it now in the polling, is that you have a proliferation of middle-sized parties between kind of seven to 15 seats, and that doesn't help uh, governability. But at least, again, as I said before, it is good for, uh, for representation. They... They increased the threshold uh, seven years ago in order to create a stab stability in the government, but it actually did the vice versa. It, it, didn't, it didn't do any stability. Um, it's for me, as someone obviously who's only really voted in numerous UK elections for the last sort of few years, um, it just seems to me as, I guess, too much choice of like, how do I know which is the right party for me when it's not just no, really two options as there really are, oh, don't want to exclude any Lib Dems, three options um, in, in the UK. Um, and... You're not, you're not voting Welsh nationalist? Unfortunately, they're not running in my local, uh, in my local constituency. It's only the Monster Raven Looney parties, the Tories or the uh, Labour really have chances to get in. Um, so it's, it's like really the UK system, it's which one best, like, no party's ever going to really represent you all the way you just have to find the one that do you think will represent you more than the others but i feel like in, in israel it's more of okay there's so many parties which one do i really belong to um and sometimes you, you is that the right way or is it just you can't tell the difference i think we have uh, so many parties because israel is very diverse and is very split uh, there's a very big division and so many, so many things. And the parties are very, you know, like niche. Like there's like um, Shas, which is uh, orthodox parties, but for Sephardic Jews. And there's Yadud yeah, Torah is for Ashkenazic Jews. So it's very, you know, that's why we have many parties. Um, I think that the mainly Israel is very split to two camps. So maybe I believe that we need to, I, we need to change our election system. We need to change our government system because we are very split to two. Um, in, through the main subjects of religious and state, uh, the security question, and, and the foreign uh, affairs question. We're now going to move on to a new section for our podcast, which is a question from a student. We're now going to play this question for you. Hi, I'm Joel. Uh, my question is, do you think the Israeli electoral system does more to stifle democracy than it does to advertise it? No, I mean, as, as, as I said before, I mean, I, I would, with, for all its faults, I would defend the system that it allows for, uh, 
for a full uh, a full range of such a diverse society to seek their representation. There is some there is arguments to make some rationalisation, as we said, for example, before that the distinction between Labour Party and Merits is limited, and there could just be one authentic left wing party that represented those 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 values, and there would be there would be some logic to that, and you could make a similar a similar argument uh, on the on the right as well. Um, but broadly speaking, and again, people make their choices here from a whole range of reasons. A lot of it, a lot of Israeli politics is personality driven um, and it's personality driven both in terms of the uh, of the of the personality of the leader, him or herself, that drives it. Other people will put more emphasis on the list that people build up. Again, for people that don't know, when you vote in Israel, you vote on a, for a slip of paper which represents the party list. Um, so there's no there are no individual uh, constituencies here. So for some people, the list is important. And, and a third on the list is actually policies. But if you look at the, the Likud party, for example, they haven't for the last few years, they haven't even bothered to publish a manifesto. Um, it's 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 meaningless. Um, and that's not to say, by the way, I mean, again, I see it every day. The Prime Minister Netanyahu is constantly putting out messages. And if you want to kind of to tap into any one political party, you will you will find your 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 stream to be to see exactly what they're saying on every given issue. But this is the this is the dynamic and, and the system perhaps aided as well today by by social media that uh, that stiff kind of party policies are, are, uh, are irrelevant. And there's good reason for that, by the way, because every government needs to be a coalition government. So essentially, whatever you promise in a manifesto is almost meaningless because there's going to be the day after the election is really where the, the interesting game starts on how do you build, how do you build a governing coalition? How do you reach the magic number of 61? Um, if I can add to that, there's a huge shift, um, not just in Israel, but around the world, the, of pers personalization. Uh, around parties. So if back in the days it was the focus was the party, the party's ideas and, and agendas, now it's the it's personalization of the politician, what is agenda, what is his ideas, and they always, you can see it on social media, they're always me, I, myself, it's not us, the party. Um, so this is why you can see the, how the Labour Party at, the, at first barely uh, passed the threshold, um, and now it's like so many mandates just because Mirab Mikhaili elected to the head of the party. So it's a very, very good example, yeah. Thank you both so much for joining me. There is still so much to talk about. So please join us next time where we will be trying to explain the rebirth of Labour.